millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start our episode today, this is just a reminder, History Hack does have a Patreon account and all of your donations are gratefully appreciated. There's lots of perks on there, secret groups on Facebook. Do get involved. We would love to see more of you. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to the Mary Rose. I feel like I've not been here for ages and it's probably because I've not been here for ages. Uh, We've got a show for you tonight, a short one probably by our standards, Uh, but let's get this out of the way. I suppose there is a birthday in the house today, but this person is really shy and retiring and just doesn't like any attention to be the centre of attention. So we'll just, guys, should we just skip past it? No. No, <laughs> she's already like no, no, worship me, Beth. Happy birthday! Thank you. Happy Alex. birthday, Beth. Happy Thank birthday. You. Uh, she is already on it, which is quite funny because you've got a tour tomorrow, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see how that works out. Uh, and we hate his guts because Kit is coming at us from the Caribbean coast. I am in Santa Marta, Colombia. It's about 33 degrees at the moment. Um, very nice. I'm in a rooftop bar. It's lovely. So Zach is the nicest person in the room and he's shaking his head as if to say, bastard. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'd, I'd give a lot of money to go on a beach right now, not having to think about stuff. But I'm quite enjoying being your chief of staff as the yeah, Great Wall Group trustees have named yeah, me. The trustees have decided you are my chief of staff, which I quite like. Apparently um, this makes me Ludendorff, but that doesn't really mean much to me. No, we don't want that. No, because then that makes who does that make me? Hindenburg. Mm. You could be Hoffman. No, I let's be Kitchener and Robertson in that little bit of time before Kitchener drowns and Lloyd George becomes a total nightmare. You're Woolly, basically. That's your nickname. Okay, this doesn't mean a great deal to me because like all the important stuff ends in 1815. But you are, to be fair, you are near a beach, aren't you, Zach? I am. I'm down on the south coast, uh, but it is not 30 something degrees. That's for sure. Excellent. Uh, we have Charlie with us. She's different today. She's got a straight fringe today and it's weirding me out. She's gone all like sweeping fringy. She almost looks like she belongs in the 21st century and not in the 1950s, which is just bizarre for me. Charlie, how are you doing? I'm good. I've been in the kitchen all day, so I've actually been been cooking and making cakes. So. Oh, so it's wilted. Suffered. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. We've got Chris, who no longer has any hair. No. <laughs> this way I don't have to get it cut again till April. Oh, excellent. <laughs> we're rocking the monk look again by then. How, how is Gillingham? 
Um, uh, still a festering sore on the arse of humanity, but still better than Sheppy, so it's doing all right. <laughs> Excellent. And we have Clive. Lovely Clive. Hi, Alex. I'm just terribly excited at the moment. Why? Because I'm going to the Great War Group conference next week. This I don't know why, other than to see all of you lovely <laughs> people and to spectate at the game of Naked Twister. Well, we need but... to follow you up with Holmes's mate, um, Glenn, because then you can be terrified of all the, the nerds together. Um, because he too, it's more at the novice end of the scale. But yeah, God help Maidstone, because Lockie, uh, we added it up. Isn't there going to be 13 of the History Hat crew in one place? Oh, you might be going to Maidstone. I'll go to Maidenhead. And we'll oh, yeah, see. that's the one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> My brain, different. brain you've, is you've so got dodgy, dodgy Medway or... towns on the brain. Have you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we, we've got a, a fairly full house of oafs. It's going to be legendary. Yeah, it is. Uh, Zach says he thought Clive was going to be the key player in Naked Twister. No, Clive. You know Clive. He'll be standing there handing out disclaimers and uh, waivers for people to start <laughs> before they get because we don't get sued. That's why he's coming. Uh, that and to point and laugh at the rest of us. And last but not least, we've got Holmes with us. Evening. That's Collywood. Hey, so I've been out today. I've been to Richmond today. Oh, that's as far as you can go, because we established earlier this week, didn't we, that basically the sun is a pain in the arse because you can't go anywhere because he's 17 and only vaccinated once. Yeah, that doesn't seem to open any doors anywhere in Europe. I think we could do France, actually. I think yeah. we can do France, but we'd, I don't think we can do Belgium. Can you just not leave him with the tramps outside the Carrefour by Lille Station and pop up to eat for the night? I think, after, the next day. I, I think after half an hour of his um, very intense... FIFA 22 talk, they'll be asking him to move on. In <laughs> Excellent. Okay, uh, we have decided tonight, or we decided several weeks ago, Zach decided. Zach, tell everyone what the topic is today. The, the topic still kind of remains to be decided, which is not incredibly helpful in the sense that we're talking about saints. Clive look, looks horrified. So we're talking <laughs> about saints, so don't worry. But we couldn't quite decide if we were going for greatest saints or wackiest saints. Um, so I, I guess we're just going to kind of leave that up to Holmes and just, let him uh, do we, the technical stuff. Are we gunning for the most batshit crazy saint in history? Pretty much what I was thinking. Yes. You know, there's, there's got to be some weird kind of individual. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that Dorman's going to rock up at some point and knock it out the park with some Irish saint. That That's kind of as far as I got in my head. Yeah, we, we don't we don't want to do the best, i.e. most sensible saint. Because that'd be no, really that'd just dull, be boring. Yeah. Yeah, surely surely that goes down. against everything the put down the pub stands for sensible. Yeah, what, what, we, want, we want something probably pervy, totally inappropriate. Um, and if we haven't had someone talking about knobs, it's I mean it's 7:14 now. If if we haven't had knobs by half seven, we're doing it wrong, aren't we? Does that mean you want me to go first? <laughs> Lockie's just looking at the camera as if to say, oh, I could just get one out if you want. That's his oh, Have you got Saint Priapus? <laughs> right okay Holmes you're going to judge this one alone tonight Holmes why don't you pick who goes first who would you like go you'd be all omnipotent who would you like to hear from first judge Holmes I don't know because I normally they normally all go I think we go Clive first marvellous just on because, the basis that you can just count me then that's fine yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much so. And also, if you you know, you need a new, a new excuse to moan about not winning, so I'm giving you one here. 
Brilliant. Thank you for that. Before we start, can is Bertie's snoring actually coming out on the recording? Are we okay? I've got, I've got it's my stomach. His, if Jabba's snoring behind my, my, my laptop as well, so that's cancelling it out if I, I can't hear anything. Excellent. Have at it, Clive. Okay. Well, let's start by defining what a saint is. The word means simply holy. And in the early church, all Christians who had received the sacrament of baptism were holy and therefore saints. As time went by, no doubt influenced by the less than perfect Christians that abounded, the term morphed into one which recognised those special people who were so holy that they were accepted, with or without a short period in purgatory, into heaven. While many souls no doubt deserve this title, the church only recognises those that can be demonstrated to be in heaven. And this occurs through evidence of their status, through post-mortem miracles that occur after prayers are directed to them, asking them to intercede with God on the supplicant's behalf. This is, of course, entirely logical. If your saint is in heaven, she or he can speak directly to God and can arrange a solution to your temporal problems. Certain saints have particular interests and become patron saints. It's only in the past 400 years that the process of canonization has become rigidly formalized with people becoming venerable than blessed before gaining the saintly title. That said, more people are canonized today than ever before. The newly sainted JP II was responsible for more canonizations than the entire body of popes that preceded him. It should also be added that some saints, for example, Peter and Paul, were never canonized. They were acknowledged as saints by acclamation. Other earlier recognized saints were stripped of their titles after Vatican II in the 1960s because they were considered more likely to be myths than reality. St. Christopher and St. George both went as former saints, but please don't tell Nigel Farage. Most of all, saints are examples of people who have lived good lives or at least achieved pretty obvious redemption. And it is that notion of example that is the most important. Hey guys, look at this person who lived a good and holy life and who is now enjoying all the perks of being sat next to God in heaven. Why not live a little bit more like him? Some saints are martyred, venerated for dying for their faith or in the practice of it. Some are doctors of the church admired for their understanding and explanation of theological issues. Some, all women, are virgins venerated from not shaggy under exceptional circumstances. Others are just people who have lived exemplary lives. The stories of the saints are a central part of Christian and particularly Catholic culture. Although there are probably more weird and wonderful saints in the Eastern Church, where Vatican II has played no part, and where the veneration of icons has an important role, as well as in some other non-Christian religions. The stories of some saints recount the gruesome manner of their torture or execution, or the bizarre miracles attributed to them after their deaths. These are fine and dandy stories, but don't really look at the person themselves, but rather what others did to them or what happened after their lives. So, after that long preamble, I come to the saint that I have chosen, St. Simeon Stilites. St. Simeon was a great chap, head and shoulders above all others in his field, a pillar of the community. He was born around 390 Christian era at Sis in the Adana province of what is now Turkey and died 69 years later in Syria at a spot between Aleppo and Antioch. 
He lived and died in the Eastern Roman Empire before the Great Schism, and so is venerated in both the Orthodox and Catholic churches. Evidence of of his existence and his story come from three source documents that recount his life. He took to religion at the age of 13 after reading the Beatitudes, and at 16 entered a monastery. He didn't last long. So zealous was his faith that he embraced austerity in such a manner that he was deemed not community-minded and asked to leave. So what does a young chap do when chucked out of a monastery? While many of us would turn to drink and women, not our chum Simeon, he decided to go to further his career by going full on with his program of austerity. David Cameron and Nick Clegg would have loved him. Today, he would be venerated as a model citizen by the Tory party. He locked himself in a hut for 18 months and spent the whole of Lent not eating. No worries for him about empty supermarket shelves nor petrol queues. But this was, as you might imagine, insufficient for him. As we were reminded for many years by that chap Stanley Green, who used to walk up and down Oxford Street with a placard proclaiming, less lust, less protein, meat, fish, bird, egg, cheese, peas, beans, nuts, and sitting. Sitting is wrong, and Simeon spotted this early doors. Having served his time in his hut, he moved on to practice a regime which entailed standing all the time. Out of his hut, he felt that the distraction of the world was not right for a God-fearing chap, and so restricted himself to an area that measured 20 metres in diameter. This was good training for what was to come. By this time, his reputation had spread and many of the faithful flocked to see him. This really wasn't what he was aiming at. He was trying to escape the world, and yet the world came to him. And so he took the next logical and life-defining step. Well, actually, a few steps, and most of them in an upward direction. In Tel Anissa, where he lived and where some of the ancient, there were some ancient ruins, including columns that reached the sky, and so Simeon shimmed up a pillar and stayed there. Although Deliveroo wasn't around in those days, he was able to sustain himself as local boys would bring him bread and goat's milk, which he pulled up in a bucket to his platform on top of the pillar using a pulley system. On the basis of the tallest poppy theory, Local church elders decided to take Simeon down a peg or two and ordered him down off his pillar. The basis of their request was that if he refused, it was clear he was up there for reasons of pride and vanity. If he came down, his reasons were judged to be more wholesome. The order was given and Simeon came down. The elders were impressed and allowed him to return. If he had refused, they would have pulled him off. As time went by and his fame grew, Simeon found that he required to distance himself further from the crowds that he attracted. His first pillar appears to have been little more than three metres high. He gradually rose, ending up on a 15 metre, that's 50 foot high pillar. He plonked a small platform on top on which he lived. Edward Gibbon, in Decline and Fall, described his daily life. In this last and lofty station... The Syrian Anacoret resisted the heat of 30 summers and the cold of as many winters. Abbot and exercise instructed him to maintain his dangerous situation without fear or giddiness and successfully to assume the different postures of devotion. He sometimes prayed in an erect attitude with his outstretched arms in the figure of a cross, but his most familiar practice was that of bending his meagre skeleton from the forehead to the feet 
and a curious spectator after numbering 1,244 repetitions at length desisted from the endless account. The progress of an ulcer in his thigh might shorten, but could not disturb this celestial life, and the patient Herbert expired without descending from his column. He didn't spend all his time in prayer. He preached to the multitude who came to see him and was known to write letters. Some of his letters have survived, but sadly I was unable to find any examples. To start with, he added a pole to the top of his pillar to tie himself to during Lent so he could refrain from sitting or lying down as he aged and relented and allowed himself a quick sit and a lie down on occasion. As his fame grew, so did his following. The Byzantine emperor, Emperor Theodosius and the Empress Eudocia were followers and sent three bishops to offer medical attention when Simeon became ill. He declined, miraculously recovered. He wrote to the Emperor Leo with advice. A wall was built around his pillar to give him space and a little privacy. And then one day, he was found dead, bent in prayer. Over the following century, he spawned a considerable number of other pillar dwellers, or stylites as they became known. His relics were, after a dispute with Constantinople, held in Antioch and a church was built on the site of his pillar. Some ruins of this church remain to this day. And more than all of this, Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote a poem about him, which, like Tennyson's other poems, is too long to recite now. But here's the opening verse. Although I be the beast of mankind from scalp to soul, one slough and crust of sin, unfit for earth, unfit for heaven, scarce meet for troops of devils mad with blasphemy, I will not seek cease to grasp the ope, I old, of sanctum and to clamour, mourn and sob, battering the gates of heaven with storm of prayer. Have mercy, Lord, and take away my sin. I think Tennyson's unfair. There's no evidence that Simeon was aiming at sainthood. That was just a consequence of the frugal and good life that he lived. Well, taking a brave stand and being martyred can appear eccentric. Having a surreal fable about you might set you out from the crowd and performing post-mortem miracles makes you a zany sort of guy. Actually, sitting atop a pillar for most of your life and setting a precedent that many others would follow surely places you head and shoulders above all wacky saints. <laughs> well done, Clive. I think you're getting applause from around the room. I think your Catholic education has been vindicated. And Holmes, it turns out it was sensible making him go first because he actually gave us the, the like set us up for almost a sensible thing about what a saint is before it basically all goes to shit. Exactly. I mean, if I, it was good, but if only we could all remember for Clive's prologue. But, you know, I, I've made a few notes. We'll, we'll see where we get. Is, it, is he the, the patron saint of anyone, Clive, apart from attention seekers? <laughs> I'm not sure that he I'm not sure that he is. Does Clive get bonus points for as many veiled reference to knobs by 20 past seven um, <laughs> as he could possibly fit in and as much double entendre relating to knobs? I, I mean, it could be a factor if they're all equal at the end, which, you know, I don't <laughs> want to encourage people to do a hurried rewrite and get more and more explicit as we go on. But, but I mean, is it true, this story? Is no, it, 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 it is true. There is there is historical evidence of it. This is not. This is why I think he is more interesting than people like George or Christopher or some of those other weird and wonderful people who fought dragons and carried baby Jesus across rivers. Because 
his life was documented. There are three accounts of his life, and it does look as and his his letters do survive to known then, historical figures. And then you, you kept he was very popular, so people turned up to see him. Do we know roughly how many people turned up? I'm not sure, but he was up there for a long time. So kind of over the 30 or 40 years he was up there, I would guess quite a lot. What did he do about toilets, or is that not documented? <laughs> not documented as far as I can see, but that's why they kind of had a perimeter wall so he could shit off the top. Or maybe he used his pulley system to lower the bucket. I don't know. But also, he wasn't eating that much. So he probably didn't kind of do a lot. How, how wide was the platform? Could he, would he not fall off when he was asleep? It was wide enough for him to be able to stand or uh, sleep up there. I'm not sure quite how wide it was. I don't think it was that wide. I mean, he, before he went up, he survived in a 20-metre diameter circle. Uh, it was probably considerably less than that, but not I mean, huge. I mean, the, o- the only issue I have is the attention-seeking, really, because if he really wanted to devote himself to God, he could have gone into the wilderness and gone up a high tree, and no one would have known him. He could have stayed up there for ages, yeah? Except he was attracting crowds before he even went up a pillar. He went up a pillar to avoid the crowds. It's a bit of a kind of catch-22 situation. That doesn't sound like the most effective way for avoiding crowds to me, really. There are disguises. Well, there I are don't movies. know. Have you ever country? been up on the fourth plinth, for example? It not, could not, work. Not recently. <laughs> well, I, I didn't I see think, you did. And also, I mean, the, at one point you said the eldest told him to come down because he was attention-seeking, and he did come down, but that is just the action of someone who is going to go on to attention-seeking in the future, isn't it? No, I'm not attention-seeking, but now I'm going to massively attention-seeking. If he was just going to doggedly stay up there because he wanted to stay up there, he would have stayed up there. But he was, a, he was obedient, and obedience is a big thing in Christian hierarchical affairs. Uh, I mean, he did do what he was told, but that's quite a literal approach. To come down off that, that, uh, that uh, column you're attention-seeking, all right. I'm going to go back up now. I mean, it just sounds a little bit like a really old David Blaine. We know that it can be a bit irritating. <laughs> but David Blaine would have got into it, got into the bucket, wouldn't he? He might have done. I, I doubt David Blaine would have come down when the elders asked him as well. To be fair, that's true. He'd have done that. He'd have cut, waited till the end, and then that eye thing on his hand at the elders that he did with Eamon Holmes on GMTV once. I mean, it's it's eccentric, but it's not really wacky enough to me at the moment. Well, I mean, I, I, I know that kind of around, you? around your your part of South London, there are people on top of lampposts all the time, but <laughs> up in Islington, we don't have that type of thing. <laughs> no, well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> right, it doesn't sound, Clive, like that one is quite bonkers enough for homes. Um, we'll see how it how it does. Should we go fishing somewhere else? Who should go to next, Holmes? I just Charlie. Thought... Charlie. All right, let's do yeah. Charlie. Oh, oh, oh. I've got to get my notes up. I made notes. Prepped. Of course you did. You're a girly swat. Total girly swat. I'm proud. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so you know those people who just won't shut the fuck up? Quite uh... a few of them in this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Boy, Chris, do can't, I. Can't, can't get a word in edgeways <laughs> with that guy. <laughs> boy do i have a patron saint for you guys 
the talkative, the ranty, the natterers, even worse for the chuggers, the telemarketers and the evangelists, because my nomination for history's weirdest saint is Saint Denis of Paris. In the third century, Denis, as he was known at the time, I'm not, I'm not going to do the French accent. We're just going to call him Denis. It's fine. You're going to be like one of those really annoying football commentators that has to pronounce, suddenly pronounce Gante's <laughs> name in perfect French. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to totally leave that out in, a, yeah. in the manner of, manner of Clive and, and bring it to life with a Cockney accent. No, I'm not ready. So Denis rocked up in Gaul from Rome on a mission from the Pope. And that mission was to convert the pagans of Paris to Christianity. At least we think he came from the Pope because the limited sources that I've painstakingly researched online cannot seem to agree. Once there, he hooked up with a group of six bishops who were already in Roman Paris called the Apostles to the Gauls, and he assumed command of them, becoming the first bishop of Paris. Now, his backstory is as unverifiable as any storyteller could wish. Some believe him to have been not Dennis, but Dionysus the Areopagite, I don't know, I can't pronounce it, who converted to Christianity in Athens under the Apostle Paul. He was sent to Gaul following Paul's death to join up with the bishops, along with two companions, Rusticus, who I assume was a pizza, and <laughs> Eulithurius. Again, I can't really tell you, all these names are, are not great for me. Unfortunately for Dennis and his mates, the emperor at the time was not fond of blathering bishops banging on about our Lord and Saviour anywhere under his control, and he quite enjoyed persecuting Christians. So he ordered the arrest of the apostles to the Gauls. Dennis and his two travel buddies were the first to be apprehended, tortured and beheaded at Montmartre. As a sidebar to this sorry tale of Christian persecution, it's either heartening to know or a sign of just how arrogant a winning ideology can be that I didn't know that Montmartre is probably not named after the Christian martyrs made up on the hill, but after the Roman god Mars. This change was described by an abbot to the monastery St. Denis in the ninth century, in the place formerly called Mont de Mars, but then by a happy change, Mont des Martyrs. So there you go, we changed names of things. But that's not the end of Dennis's story. In fact, it's only the start of his legend for not even decapitation could cure this loquacious lad of his verbal diarrhea. <laughs> Mansplaining all the way to his place of execution, Dennis found that he was miraculously able to continue preaching after his head had been taken off. Realizing his good fortune, he picked up his bonds and carried it off as witnesses to the improbable sight stood dumbstruck as the chatter faded away from them. Probably. I know I would. Dennis went off for a lovely little walk and talk, not stopping to consider his good fortune or even to draw breath. But this is what I wonder, does a talking head need to breathe? If it's not attached to lungs, I guess it, it wouldn't. It could just, <laughs> it's not really that no, big a deal, is it? You, you don't need to breathe. You, you're kind of dead anyway, so you can just keep talking. Anyway, two miles. He walked and talked for two miles. Until finally, and to everyone's surprise, he died. Only then did he sh zip it. This first Parisian martyr, was he the first or just the first to be canonised again? I, I can't answer this for you. Was buried at the site of his eventual demise 
and the Basilica of Saint Denis, a uh, Saint Denis, I can't resist it. Sorry, the Basilica of Saint Denis stands on the spot today. Next time you're in Paris, it's well worth a visit because it's the burial place of all the French kings. It one, it would have been wonderful if the revolutionaries hadn't have smashed it to fuck and dug all the bones up and chucked them in a mass grave. But it's still an amazing place to go, and there's lots of funeral effigies. It's really cool. Um, while you're there maybe you could light a candle to St. Dennis for the history hack down the pub regulars. We'd appreciate your prayers. Thank you. <laughs> That's really good. Do you know what? Kit has been struggling with his sound the whole way through that. And he's like, seriously, what's she saying? I've got Charlie coming through so quiet that there's a decapitated guy who's crapping himself, <laughs> uh, which is not far off what actually happened. Holmes, what do you make of that one? Is that more lun- lunatic for you? It is more, I mean, I don't know if it's the mood I'm in, but even picking up your head after you've been beheaded and walking two miles is also a little bit attention-seeking, really, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's, it's more the type of thing that I had in mind, but, I mean, it's, you know, comparing it to Clive's, it's not very believable, though. How How is this documented and recorded? Well, this was written down um, many, many, many years after his death, hundreds, in fact, of years after his death. I did write it down in my notes, but can I find them? Uh, no. Was that, on the, on the, was that on the basis that if someone had put it out 20 years after his death, people would have thought bollocks, but well, 100 years' time, they thought, well, maybe, maybe. Well, no, this is this is the thing. So it was, um, they, they made a... a uh, what do you call it an abbey so he had a he had his own sort of abbey with his own monks there to saint denis and then the the legend of saint denis was written by those monks so it feels very much like a how do we how do we get people to give us money and come and see us and all of this stuff we'll tell them about this this story um yeah the monks of montmartre in the seventh century believed their residence to be the true site of St. Dennis. Um, so, yeah, this was a... Yeah. So, so this I'm, sounds I'm, a little I'm bit like... i my own notes as I'm talking to you, because it was, it was hundreds of years after. But if it had been eyewitness, eyewitness accounts, would we have believed it any more than a few hundred years later? No, not necessarily, but it sounds a little bit like, wasn't it, Glastonbury Abbey, where they pretended that they had King Arthur and Guinevere there as a sort of tourist attraction. It sounds a little bit like that. But um, the, the, the actual um, Basilica of St. Denis, if we're going down that route, pronunciation, I hate that. When I hate it when people go to Reims, because they go, you go, where have you been to France? And they go, Rheims. Yeah. And then you go, I always go, I always go, where did you go after that? Because then they'll just say it in English. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the actual Basilica, does that mark the spot where he was initially beheaded or where he died after walking two miles with his head. Yeah. It's, it's the spot where he died that they, they built the, what, what we now know as the Basilica and it's not the original Basilica. It's one that was, so it was on the site of that that's gone. And then this one grew up um, later. Would he get bonus points Holmes if he'd run around like a headless chicken? Cause that would have been funny. I mean, it would have increased. I think it's quite slapsticky anyway, but that would have increased the slapstick quota. What was his, what was his head saying while he was walking for these additional he two was miles? Still, he was preaching the word of God. So he was he was still, yeah, he was trying to convert pagans. 
He sounds like that guy outside Stamford Bridge who does the Emirates as well. When you come out the station, he just goes on and on and on with his microphone and no one's paying any attention to him, you know, because it's football. Um, he sounds like that guy. I mean, you'd have thought at one point you'd have at least said, you know, Avevu un Anadin or something like that. It's just screaming <laughs> out the text. Oh, man, no, that's, 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 that's Neurofen migraine needed. You need the hard <laughs> stuff when your head's come off. Yeah. Okay, well, I like that one. No, nothing more for me at the moment. Uh, I have a question for you, though, Holmes. Um, are you is realism coming into play with your judging? It, it might do, I guess, because we haven't got fixed criteria. I'm just going to go with the one that I liked best, and if I have to defend my choices, I'll just use any old bullshit at the end. I think we'll Excellent. just on that. There you go. That should make it easier for them. Who do you want to go through? Now, I'm going to let you choose all night. Who would you like next? I'm going to try and go with people who normally go last. So I'm going to go Kit next. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, um, so my pick for a saint is so astonishing that the word is even in her name. It is Saint Christina the Astonishing. <laughs> and believe me, she lives up to it. So Christina was born in Brustum in modern-day Belgium in 1150 AD. She was orphaned at a young age and raised by her two sisters before she became a shepherd. So far, so normal until age 21, she suffered an epileptic fit and dropped dead. But not for long, because when the townsfolk gathered and held an open casket service for her, mid-funeral, she suddenly sat up upright, completely fine, back from the dead. That is not the astonishing part. On returning to life, she announced to the congregation that they all smelled really, really bad and she had to get away from them, at which point she began to levitate into the rafters to get out of whiff range. The townsfolk, understandably scared witless, thought that she was possessed. And when she finally came back down from the rafters, they threw her in jail. While locked up, Christina shared her version of what happened. She had died, as everyone thought, and was on her way to heaven when she was given a chance to free souls trapped in purgatory if she returned to earth and took their punishment instead. She had agreed, and that instant had woken up in her coffin. On her release from jail, she did just as she'd promised and became a penitent, living a beggar's existence, wearing rags and refusing all accommodation, and of course, going around telling people that they stank and levitating away from them. But levitation to get rid of, get rid of stinky middle-aged people was just one of Christina's tricks. It turned out that Christina had become some kind of a 12th century Captain Scarlet. She was now indestructible. In the summer, if someone lit a furnace, Christina would rush into their home and leap into the fire, screaming how it was burning her alive. When she stepped out, she would be completely unharmed. During winter, she would throw herself in the Meuse River and try and drown herself for hours and sometimes days and occasionally at weeks for a time, screaming in agony about the cold. Several times she got caught up and accidentally swept into the local mill run and was bashed senseless by the mill wheel 
going round and round in an attempt to be torn apart or drowned. Ultimately, of course, she would always emerge unscathed. On several occasions, she was chased through the town by dogs who would bite her repeatedly, only, once again, she would emerge unharmed. Eventually, she was thrown into jail again for her own safety, only to be released once more into the custody of a local convent. Here she died at the old age of, in 1224, some 53 years after her first death. These feats, the levitating, the furnace hopping, and the free ride in the mill wheel, all have witnesses, including Cardinal Crusader and chronicler Jacques de Vitry, who met her and interviewed her. The first monastic account of her life was published only seven years after her death and included commentary from people who knew her personally. For the next few centuries, she was a major saint in uh, Catholicism, albeit one that was never officially recognised by the Catholic Church, before being largely forgotten outside of Belgium. Today, she's venerated in the Limburg region, where, perhaps unsurprisingly, she is the patron saint of millers and people with mental illnesses. Well done. <laughs> uh, brilliantly done, as always. But Beth wants to kill you. You have ruined my birthday kit. She was my choice, too. <laughs> <laughs> you are single-handedly responsible for my drinking this evening. Uh, are you gonna are you gonna do your pitch anyway or Google or just get pissed? Fuck no, am I doing it because no one can win against kids. <laughs> or I'm not doing it. Quick Google Mad Bastard Saints. Mad Saints. I'm sure but, <laughs> although he appears to be coming to us live through a keyhole somewhere in Ireland. Uh, so <laughs> Dorman, have you missed your bus? Yes, I have. <laughs> Where are you yeah. right now? Um, I'm next to a, a road in, in Dublin, well, specifically Ballantyre, um, close enough to where my parents live. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I fuck my connection. So, Excellent. yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so, Dorman is listening in at the moment and hopefully we'll be home and we'll do his pitch. Because how can the Irishman not do the mad saints? It has to. It has I'm to... not even doing an Irish saint. That's, that's how heretical I'm being at the moment. <laughs> Brilliant. How are you otherwise, other than your Blair Witching around Dublin? I mean, it's been a week, I'll be honest. Um, I have a shit ton of undergraduate essays I look forward to grading. But apart from that, you know, it's fine. Brilliant. OK, we'll come back to Dorman Holmes. Um, Beth's face is a picture right now. And Kit, so is Kit, because Kit couldn't care less. Look. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Own it, Kit. Just own it. She got. She can't be. Thousand miles away. What's she gonna do? Exactly. There's a. Bit I'd be more worried about what I will do when we actually meet again in person. Yeah, sure I have a wearing one I... of those little knacker protectors that cricketers wear. I've got. I've got I'm a slight feeling. About, Kit... about getting cake in my face. I've got a slight <laughs> feeling. Kit's driving license might be intercepted at the Great War Group conference. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what may happen? A marker pen. <laughs> Who knows what will happen, really? Some sharpie additions to his driving life. Holmes, have you got questions on... Uh, I, I, I'm too scared to say Kit's pitch in case Beth punches me. Have you got any questions about the Astonishing Saint? I, I think so. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, when Clive did his, I thought that was probably made up. And then 
Charlie's was probably made up, but now, I mean, this knocks it out of the park from the made up perspective. It's um, starting to let go of the realism requirement here. I found myself Googling one bit as well. I'm not, I'm sure they did the furnace didn't exist in the 12th century, but then I realized it's probably the rest of it's probably bullshit as well. So I thought I stopped looking up the furnace thing because I probably wasn't, didn't think that was a clincher. But the bit that I didn't get, so I get the bit that. Uh, a, if she was just brought up by her sisters and was a, you know, a lowly shepherd, shepherdess, how come she had a big like state funeral in the town and there was an open casket? That, that was that was traditional for the time. So anyone who died in the town got an open casket funeral. It wasn't sort of like you know they they kicked them out. That was just how they how they did funerals. Um, and yeah, she was she was just a, a lowly shepherdess, and the people came together to uh, to say goodbye. And lo and behold, she levitated and told, they, told them they stank a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit I don't get, because I heard you say that, you know, she died and then she was on her way to heaven, trapped in purgatory. And then the bit that I didn't make notes on, because you were talking too fast, was they said that she could go back. But what was the, her purpose when she went back? So her purpose was to basically take the, um, take the suffering for the people in purgatory. So she was doing their penance, which is oh, why okay. she was... She was sort of dressed as a penitent. She was a beggar. Um, that's why she threw herself in furnaces and all that kind of stuff. The the, the calling people smelly uh, wasn't just a, a medieval thing. It was they, they stank of sin was her thing. And so she wanted to get away from the smell of sin. What's brilliant is that if Eleanor Yanaga was here, she'd rip you for saying that medieval people smell bad. She'd go on a high horse again about medieval hygiene. Well, that, that makes yeah, more... Well, I think Londoners smell bad, so... That makes more sense because I I sort of misunderstood that she was supposed to come back and spread like God's word. I thought she's got a really fucking weird way of doing that. But that was down to no, me no, there, there is no God's wording with with Christina. Um, although if I, I want to be magnanimous, Beth, do you want to take on any questions? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would just like to hate you from afar, please. I will. I will. I will. If you win, which. Your kit, so you probably will. I am sharing this victory. <laughs> and then, and then, how come it? Fifty-three years later, how come it didn't happen again? Or has she had she had she done enough penance by then? Was everybody released from purgatory? I, 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 it's not specified. She just dies of old age, you know, as living in this convent um, for for the rest of her sort of her days. That's her retirement home, essentially. And apparently, she was a very quiet. A dutiful monk who would like you know or none or whatever who obeyed all of the instructions that she was given she was she was crazy but she was a polite crazy and when did she stop levitating she stopped levitating when she entered the convent so it was just when she was walking around town and she'd bump into you know uh chris or or, or clive and she'd go <laughs> oh my god you stink and just start flying away from them i oh, know not that these, either of those two have any sin by the way just... <laughs> I think Clive's saying he's got one sin there. I think we can guess what that is. Um, okay, yeah, no, nothing further from me. Are these just going to get progressively even weirder now? Yeah, I think so. Um, well, we're not sure because Beth's frank, frantically Googling another saint now and shaking her head. Yeah, ain't happening. Well, do Charles I of Austria-Hungary. You know I'm, that now, I'm now going to have to do this drunk as well by the time you, I actually find something and you get to me. I, I mean, Beth, given what we've had so far, you could probably just fucking make something up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See if you can find a saint from the West Midlands. <laughs> there is one actually. Uh, right. This it works. Right. To be honest, you are 
the most Catholic person in here. So if you can't find one, ah him. <laughs> Shut up, Dorman. <laughs> I've got as much chance got of finding a saint. Catholic guilt. Chance of finding a saint from the uh, West Midlands as you do as three wise men and a virgin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is true. Holmes, who would you like next? Um, I think next. <laughs> Clive, just death. for clarification, Clive says not a virgin. <laughs> Is he talking about himself? We knew I'm not that. Sure. No, about saints from the West Midlands. Uh, okay. <laughs> Hang on. What about what about James? Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Is it worth canonisation if you've managed to get to how old is he? Twenty-five. No. I think in I can be that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's there's less temptation on the south coast. Zach is is uh, on the non-alcoholic Bellinis and uh, appears to be pissed. Excellent, Holmes. Who did you want next? Well, on the basis that Dorman and Beth need a bit of time, it's got to be. I'll go for. I'll go for Zach. I think. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Thank you for not making me do mine on the ball surrounded by strangers. I do appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. If you're going to be a saint, you don't want to do things by halves. Being the patron saint of just one thing is, frankly, plain lazy. To show true commitment to patronage, try being the saint of not one, not two, but 11 groups of people. Enter Saint Fiucra of Bro- Bruil. It's a place in France. I can't pronounce it properly. And What's folks, that was, well, it's spelled B-R-E-U-I-L. So make what you will of that. Yeah, the, the actual saint's name, I couldn't get that either. Um, that's spelled F-I-A-C-R-E. He's Irish, if that helps. And Dorman gonna, probably hates me for my Irish pronunciation. I'm going to go with Bruy as, uh, as the name of the place. Thank you, Lockie, that, that helps. Um, so yeah, this guy's name is Fiucra not something else. I know how your minds work down in this pub. The guy is an Irishman, as I say. Um, please, no quibs about the Irish. And he lived for 70 years from AD 600. Fucre was raised in a monastery and became a monk. After emigrating to France, his first significant act was a bit of light farming. Legend has it that Saint Faro agreed to give Fucre as much land as he could entrench in one day. According to which accounts you read, 
Fuqua therefore whipped out his magic staff slash spade slash hoe slash whatever and started toppling trees and uprooting bushes. The giggles around the pub have started already. <laughs> a local woman ran screaming, why wouldn't you? Uh, but specifically re- screaming witchcraft to Farrow. Farrow ignored her, apparently recognising the work of God. And at that point, from that point on, Fuqua wouldn't let women come anywhere near him, and particularly not anywhere near his hermitage, except his sister. And this is the next thing uh, that Fuqua does that he becomes famous for. His blind sister travelled to his hermitage, became a nun, and it is said that through Fuqua's wisdom, she miraculously regained her sight. The 19th century folklorist and Catholic priest John O'Hanlon, clearly an authoritative source on these questions, informs us that, quote, through his merits, St. Fiocra had an inspiration that his sister would recover her sight, while in, to her, in like manner, was revealed the spot where the body of St. Savinian lay. There, prostrating herself, she poured forth her soul in prayer, and her face bedewed with tears, she would not rise from the ground until her petition was heard. She was restored miraculously to the, youth, to the use of vision. None of this is particularly spectacular or wacky, though. What is remarkable about this guy is how many things he became a patron of. His hermitage in France became known as a place of healing. He had an interest in medicinal plants, but is attributed to have been a skilled medic because of his use of his delicate touch. Now, that all sounds well and good on the surface. Kings were trying to heal scrofula like that well into the 17th century, just ask Charlie. Becomes a little bit more curious when we look at the sort of things that uh, Fiocra was healing with his lovely hands, because he is the patron saint of individuals suffering from infertility, hemorrhoids, and sexually transmitted infections. It is possible, and I certainly hope, that the reality is that he was healing people through his skill with medicinal plants. However, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, and I'm quoting here, his fame for miracles was widespread. He cured all manner of diseases by laying on his hands. Fiocra has actually become the patron patron saint of many groups besides the afflicted, so cab drivers, unofficially that one's not recognised by the Vatican, and it goes back to um, the Hotel de Saint Fucre, um, beginning to hire out carriages in the 1650s. Florists, hosiers, tile makers, box makers, gardeners, vegetable growers, and pewterers are all included. However, how much Fucre managed to really achieve through the use of his magic staff and his wonderful hands, I'll be honest, we'll never know. But his collection of patronages alone makes him a worthy contender for consideration, at least, for the title of perhaps greatest saint. And the use of his delicate hands when it comes to hemorrhoids and infertility, well, let's be honest, that's just classic history hack. It is indeed. Uh, And what I think you broke Chris. I don't know if he's got his sound back, but he's absolutely (laughs) in pieces right now. You're all right there, mate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we've had magic staffs and, and lots more double entendre in that one. Holmes, is that what you were looking for? Actually, we, I could now announce that, you know, Clive is not bottom, put it that way. Um, <laughs> I think it was actually, 
it was slightly dull. I mean, you tried to spice it up with, you know, by showing who was the patron, the, the patron saint of various organisations from at the end. And but I, I'm not. I mean, he was. He did a bit of agri, a lot of agriculture. Healed his blind sister. That's about it, really, isn't it? He might, did he, he? He healed other people. I mean, he healed again, people's hemorrhoids and sexually transmitted infections. You know, that's surely got to be worth something. Well, only it's to those really who suffer from them. I mean, you know, those of us who have been clean for their 40, 40 plus years on this earth, it's uh, doesn't have the influence that it perhaps would. I mean, because I, I noticed you said that he's the patron saint of cab drivers, but I think you said that's not recognised by the Vatican. Does that mean all the it's others not. are? Yes, <laughs> amazingly, including <laughs> the, the associations with hemorrhoids and STIs. Did that does, did that all go through at the time he was canonised, or they or can you add to them subsequently? You can add to them subsequently. I think a lot of it relates to a period around the 1600s when they actually moved him and they moved his body, and then in the process of moving his body, I think people began to realise more and more about how there were miracles associated with him, um, and so as different people became healed through their various afflictions then he kind of gained these associations with those different illnesses. But the, the hemorrhoids thing and the STIs thing, I'm, apologies to keep raising this, but it is breaking Chris, so it's kind of funny. Um, every time you say get the words magic staff in as much as you can, because every time you say it, he literally crumbles. Um, but yeah, apparently that's to do with things, you know, people were going to him with ailments and, and he was treating that. With they're, quite, they're quite specific ailments, though, aren't they? Couldn't they have they are. I mean, I, France, and not, not in France. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is he? Is he the? Yeah. But from in terms of a medical medical conditions, is he the patron saint of anything that isn't genital or arse related? Um, not the time aware of. Right. Everything so else no. is like gardening and floristry and and stuff like that. So, so he wasn't dealing with sore throats or anything like that. That well, I mean, with that, even though his hand, he had healing hands, but given where they'd been, would you want him to? I mean, um, okay, yeah, nothing further so from me. Blaze does sore throats, <laughs> right? <laughs> On that note, I love that. I love, Zach's just gone straight for the genitalia, which normally would work in this pub. Not sure if it's going to tonight. Holmes, who would you like next? I reckon, I reckon we go Chris next if he can speak. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want a magic staff in your throat. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you been on the Korean drain cleaner at the back of your fridge again? No, Can I just no, say, no. on the grounds of Chris's reaction, I'm claiming a moral victory tonight. Uh, it might have something to do with the fact that he's already cleared out a bottle of wine. Okay, I can do this. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> right. Okay, um, Holmes will be uh, fairly pleased that this is actually going to be quite brief, as uh, my knowledge of uh, saints and the ecclesiastic ecclesiastry is quite uh, brief, seeing as that none of them went to sea or in German boats. Uh, so obviously, I googled the topic, and uh, an article came up, and my eyes fell on this choice. And it, it's kind of an odd occurrence that when you're watching movies or reading books, you see a character and think, "That's kind of the thing I'd be. That's kind of what I'd be like." You know, for me, it'd be like Captain Nieder in The Empire Strikes Back or um, Young Werther, and sorry, the Young Werther. Um, but when I saw this guy, I, 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 I never thought I'd find it in historical person. So 
Gamarus uh, was born in 1770 in or 1717, sorry, in Lier in Belgium. And he was the cousin of King Pepin the Younger. He served his cousin at court uh, in various important roles. And the king arranged a marriage for him to a uh, wealthy noblewoman called uh, Gwynwere, um, which in medieval terms is like hitting the, uh, it's like winning the lottery. You're, you're already rich. You serve the king. You have a wife. Everything could be rosy. But it was uh, then that he discovered that, he, it, that this wasn't all milk and honey and that his wife was actually a mean-spirited shrew. And she was awful to the servants and awful to him. So he did what countless men have done over hundreds of years uh, since then, which was go to war with his with his cousin. And uh, he fought with the Belgian army or with King Pepin's army in Saxony and Aquitaine uh, for eight years and eventually decided after eight years, he should go home and try to make amends with his wife and, you know, try and live a happy life. But when he found when he went home, he found that his wife was still mean. Uh, she was horrible to the servants. She kept back money from them that he they should be paying them. And she was just a horrible, horrible, horrible person. So he tried to convert her to active Christianity. That didn't work. So he decided to uh, build, to contemplate his devotions to God. So he built a chapel, uh, which was at uh, Nivezent. My, my French accent is awful, but it's a uh, Nivezent Donc, uh, which is also in the air, apparently. And um, eventually he spent a lot of his time there devoting his time to God, but every now and then having to go home to his wife. But he, the marriage was so toxic that in the end he said, bugger this, I'm leaving. And he actually got a divorce, which in the Middle, middle Ages, the sort of medieval period, was, was very, very, very rare. And he went to go and live in his chapel as a hermit. Uh, and Lier as a town grew up around his hermitage. And um, eventually he died in 774. Uh, he was later canonized. Apparently some miracles were attributed to him, etc., etc. His, his saint's day was actually the, tenth, uh, the first Sunday of the 10th of October, after the 10th of October. So uh, happy Gamorous Day. Um, <laughs> there, a triple brood um, thing, triple. No, uh, uh, triple something, screwed in uh, Limburg, not uh, in Poland, and um, that's it really. He, he, I mean, as saints go, he's he didn't have a particularly wacky life. He didn't die a horrific death. He didn't kill any dragons, but um, or have any epic miracles. But he's a relatable character who had simply just had enough of his awful, awful wife, and um, decided to devote himself to. Um, what the things that he was interested in to to God, to sim simple life, much like someone else might devote themselves to the Great War Group and writing and stuff. It's going to say it's, <laughs> it's not a coincidence, Chris, that you went and found a saint who found a way to to soldier on despite the presence of a complete pain in the ass for a spouse. <laughs> and he is, in fact, the Spain, the patron saint of uh, divorces. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. If so he was your hero, all he needs now is a German admiral's hat, and he's your hero. Right? <laughs> or marry the Kaiser's daughter. Either one, it's, it's, it's acceptable. Holmes, no magic stuff, fortunately. <laughs> I feel you're going to fall down on this one because Holmes is happily married and is not going to empathise with you. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I am. Yeah, that's that, that's fine. I, there wasn't much detail though. All I just got was quite a lot about the nagging wife. There was a bit of about eight years, then came back. His wife was still nagging. He built a chapel, spent a bit of time there. 
came out. She was still nagging. That was about it, really. Then you said, oh, we did some sort of miracles. Do we know what miracles he did? Um, no, um, I couldn't, to be honest, I was so, so enthralled by the idea of the nagging wife and the escape. So I thought this is, very, this is pretty much where my dice lands. Um, then, it didn't really say the failure either. So. <laughs> and, then, and then you said that he has a beer named after him. Yeah, it said something about a, uh, a tr- um, a, uh, hang on, where is it? Uh, a triple brewed in Limburg called the Gamur- um, the Saint Gamurius. Um, I don't know what that is. But if, if you I do hold that in there. in there, thinking that would score you brownie points with home. Yeah, I don't really like no, Belgian. They're too strong, really. Was, but they call a triple because they've got like three three times the amount of hops that normal beer have, has in, which that means you need to put three times the amount of sugar in to compensate for the bitterness. And most of that sh- the sugar turns to alcohol, so that's why they're quite strong. Stop being brewed three times. I just thought I'd get that. And also, I thought at the start, your gratuitous Star Wars reference to Captain Nida, slightly obscure. You need, you need to aim a bit higher than him. He lasts longer than Mr. Bronson, but not much longer. <laughs> not much longer. Sometimes I think I'd be Moff Jerry Gerald at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, just pleading for more men and more time. But uh, <laughs> I thought that'd be even more obscure. But it's interesting that he's, I mean, obviously he's a candidate for patron saint, the ideal candidate for patron saint of divorces. But if only he was around a little bit later, because Edward the Confessor is the patron saint of troubled marriages. So if he could have got in there first. That's the thing. He te- Technically, he was before Edward the Confessor. But um, I think Edward the Confessor is for if you're going through marital problems. And then if you've gone all the way to uh, a Chris Sam scenario, you've got your way to uh, Gamorius, who will look after you for the, through the divorce <laughs> with his triple strength beer. By the sounds of it, and, and we might have to revert back to Clive for this, but Clive, can you have a patron saint for basically anything? Uh, you know, someone could apply to be the patron saint of the difficult shit or something like that. <laughs> oh, hard stool, All the magic patron stuff. Saint of, absolutely. Yep. He had a magical staff too. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and I guess from what you've said, do, do, if you if you are the official patron saint of someone, does that do you still have to go through a procedure, get it signed off? Is there a, a committee somewhere that vets all this? Oh, well, yes and no. You can get you can be a patron saint because the church, the Vatican says assign you to one particular role once you've been canonized, or even many years after canonization, or a particular group can adopt a patron saint. Like History Hack could adopt a patron saint. To, uh, we could intercede to to help us. Oh, we're going to do that before the end of the night. We could get that. So I can't. Remember, what's Chris? What was your guy's name? Garrulus. Gamorius. Gamorius. So he, yeah. he's he's the patron saint of the below average pitch. You're <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty standard to me. <laughs> but there were no boats this time, so you know. Yeah, give him some brownie points. But Holmes, if you look on Wikipedia, there's a list of patron saints of ailments, illnesses and dangers. Another list of patron saints of occupations and activities. That a patron saint, a list of patron saints of places and one of patron saints of ethnic groups. So Bob's your proverbial there. Well, I've, Every... just, I've just found one in my mission to find one. He's the patron saint of coffee. I don't have time to Google while oh, I'm a and, and, and sorry, I have to just... The patron saint against, uh, invoked against migraine is St. Aspirin. <laughs> I have a feeling tonight that we're going to find stuff. everything more funny than it is because <laughs> it's so shit-faced, which is going to be... Amazing. No, I've, just, I've just had a really shit week, so... Yeah. Go for it. Have you got more wine? Crack it open. 
No, it's gone now. I'm on to the Korean stuff if I'm... Excellent. Do it, Chris. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Sorry, you broke up then. Who don't? I reckon Lockie next. Go for it. Whoop, whoop. Okay, so uh, I was initially thrown because I had quite a sensible choice lined up for this who I thought was going to be a great call. And then the, the, the word at the beginning was, no, we don't want sensible. Give us stupid. Um, so I've done uh, some pretty quick work. I was, I was going to mention this guy anyway because there's quite a few saints associated with beer. And this is definitely one of them. Uh, and my first choice was going to be Arnold of Soissons. Um, but basically, he was quite sensible in the sense that he encouraged people to drink beer when beer was safer to drink than water. So he stopped people getting sick. So that's just good sense, isn't it? No, so the one that I've gone for, um, who has definitely my favourite miracle story, is um, Nicholas of Myra, a.k.a. St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Father Christmas. Um, we're going to park the whole business of flying round the the world with a with a sled, and Beth's giving me a face now. Like, um... is this because you're about to crap all over Christmas? <laughs> I no no no, absolutely do- definitely not. Not going to do anything like that. Uh, oh, I was looking um, forward to that. Go on then. Oh, okay. <laughs> I could do. <laughs> it's really evil, though, right? No, well, no, not really. Um, I mean, the, the kind of whole Christmas miracle thing is to do with his association with giving secret gifts. Okay. And he's patron saint of loads of things, uh, Nicholas of Myra as well. Uh, he's patron saint of sailors and merchants, um, archers for some reason, repentant thieves, prostitutes, children, brewers. Um, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, so we're going through all the stages of, of marriedness here, uh, students as well. But yeah, this, this legendary habit of secret gift giving is a thing uh, associated with him. And it also kind of ties in with the prostitution thing, because basically he saved three women from being prostitutes by lobbing money through their windows so that their father could pay the dowry for them because, before they had to run off and go on the game. It, it wasn't because he came in late one time and he told his wife he'd been out giving little presents to people with a load of reindeer. <laughs> um, right. I mean, that, that kind of ties in with what, with his miracles, uh, really, because he's got he's got a few... Uh, the, the, the kind of saving women from prostitution is maybe his most famous story, but um, but the he's big on resurrections, actually, as St. Nick. Um, and there was one time when he was... Uh, it was like a period of famine, in Myra, and um, some horrible, disreputable butcher uh, had actually got hold of three babies that he drowned in a barrel uh, and was going to cut them up and sell them as ham, um, which is really, really horrible. But um, uh, Nick managed to intervene, resurrect the drowned babies. So he's often portrayed with like a barrel and some babies. And um, so he's ended up as the patron saint of children or one of the patron saints of children anyway, kind of on that basis, which is a bit bit weird um the favorite story that i have which is just hilarious and i know exactly how this went he also spent some time as an innkeeper and um what basically happened was uh, the miracle purportedly is three men um left his establishment were uh, attacked murdered uh, and had all their possessions stolen from them uh, and then he found the bodies uh, later on and managed to resurrect them and bring them back to, back to life so they could go home. I know exactly what's happened here, all right? 
three blokes have gone into his bar and got absolutely shit-faced and spent all of their money, okay? And so the following day, they've gone back home to their wives who've said, where the hell have you been and where is all the money that you're supposed to have brought back home to keep the family going? Oh, my God, you will never guess what. I was dead a few hours ago, literally dead. I was, I came, I was coming home to, 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 to give the money to the family and everything, but I was robbed and stabbed and killed and all my money was taken from me, but good old Nick performed a miracle. He came out of the pub and brought me back to life. What a hero. That's exactly how that went. Um, so he should be the patron saint of getting drunks out of shit with their wives as well. But um, fundamentally, he, he, he did other stuff too. Uh, he calmed some storm at sea, apparently, and uh, uh, was able to persuade some merchants to, to hand over some grain during another famine. And, and miraculously, the grain reappeared in their hold, so they weren't punished uh, for it later. Uh, and so there you go. You can have Saint Nick, patron saint of... Saving drunk people's asses, apart from anything else. And some presents as well. We like that. Presents and alcohol. What more do you need? Homes. Is that going to cut? That, that, was, that, was a, that was a good one. And obviously, you know, it's, it's Santa, basically, at the end of the day. The only thing would have made that story better if they have said if they didn't say Nick the innkeeper. They said Santa resurrected me. That would have been better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with his reindeer. I, I think it's remarkable how he managed to move from southern Anatolia to the North Pole, by the way. Go ahead. Any questions? What, no, I was just going to... Is it because he seems to be the patron saint of a lot of things? Is that why he was picked as, you know, the, 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 the Santa? I, I don't know. That, I don't know. I'm just... You know, I think apparently it's, it is the kind of... Um, the, the, the manner in which he um, gave money to this family to to save them. He did it in secrecy because he didn't want to... Um, oh, how was it termed? He didn't want to kind of bring shame on them because it was like it was quite a wealthy family who, for, for you know, for reasonable reasons, had, had lost their fortune. Um, and so he didn't want to bring shame on them by just sort of handing over a load of money to them. Didn't want to uh, kind of make them feel bad for, for accepting charity. He wanted to do it very much kind of under the radar. So actually he kind of flung a purse of gold through the window uh, secretly. So he could uh, the, the father could afford a dowry for the first daughter and then did it again for the second and then did it again for the third one. So it's the kind of secret nature of the gift giving that, that, that leans him towards that. But that doesn't strike me as being particularly unique, although nice, a nice gesture it was. That's, there must have been loads of people that did things like that. Oh, I dare say, so. yeah. But did they also resurrect drunk people? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I just wondered whether, you know, if it wasn't for him, would they have just picked another saint to be Father Christmas, Santa Claus? Because, you know. I think as well, if Johnny was here, there'd be a lot more love for that saint because when he gets to the, uh, what I call the Kate Bush part of being drunk and starts doing his uh, Wuthering Heights rendition. I think that's the point where he needs saving, right, Holmes? I, I think he's beyond saving at that yeah, point. I think the rest of needs saving at that point. He yeah. stands there with his arms out, doesn't he, and does the Kate Bush thing, which is uh, amusing for the rest of us. Well, you, you all might see it a week on Friday or Saturday. Honestly, the oh. fact that 13 of us are going to be in an actual pub together is quite funny, especially as I've learned tonight that you can actually get Zach drunk on non-alcoholic cocktails 
Because he's just, do you know, he's basically reached the point after one of them where he sat there staring at Clive's changing colour light in his office. There's no light. Um, and he's just mesmerised by the changing colours. He's reached that point of drunkenness. Right. Shall we go to a very pissed off looking bed? I think we have to. You know what I'm more pissed off about now is that Kit's fucked off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he's lost his connection, hasn't he? And he's just gone. There's a doorman as well. Yep. Dorman's back. Dorman's off the bus. We've had uh, live from the bus coming into the uh, Twitter chat. Beth, come on. I couldn't find any that lived up to Christina. You so. definitely get to claim it if Kit wins now because I definitely because I had oh I've got a full thing prepared as well. Beth, Beth, if you want, you can do Joseph a cup of tea, you know, and I'll just talk about how shit St Patrick is. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I, I'm just going to wing it because I've decided, having had a look at my options, um, because there are many like there are options. I had options, but none of them matched up. So I'm, I've, I'm going a different way. I'm not going for the win this time. I'm just going for sheer and utter. Basically, at one point, it's basically just me reading smut. So I'm just going to do that. That um, she usually does just read just why not? Like, I'm, just, I'm just gonna read some medieval smut, why not? Uh, but I had like a whole thing planned, like I, did, I was doing like a little presentation for you guys. Um, because I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna say about the fact that, like, as one of the resident Catholics, I bet not, not many of you, if any, maybe Dorman, maybe Clive, um. How many of you have books in, about saints in your house that were gifted to you as Christmas and birthday presents as children? And literally, this one says, Happy Christmas, Beth, from when I was about 10 years old. So, you know, oh, I, I've I got was, about three from Sunday school. But yeah, I've got these. This one particularly used to belong to my mum. And as a nerdy swat, as we all know, um, I used to read this book because I was a know-it-all and always wanted to be the centre of attention. I would read this before school every morning when there was like assembly because they always used to say, does anyone know what the Saints Day is today? And I'd go, I do. And it was always me. <laughs> it was always me because of this book. It's always me. Um, and, you know, as, as a Catholic, saints take over your life. Um, churches are named after them, you're named after them sometimes, as people are in this room. Um, and then you choose, you get to choose names as well for confirmation, which when you consider some of the names that get chosen for saints for confirmation, um, you know, there's supposed to be a guide for you as a future, as you become an adult, in as a Catholic adult in the world. Um, considering some of the choices of people I know, I worry as to how they've turned out as adults. Is Saint um, Bethany the patron saint of Disney? Huh? Is Saint Bethany the patron saint of Disney? Uh, that would be my dream. <laughs> or chocolate. Dream. And I'm one of the Catholic people that's not named after a saint. So <laughs> I don't get like I'm after a place instead. I'm one of them people. I've got a place name. Ooh. Um yeah, so I've I've gone rather than going with my crazy Christina the astonishing. I loved that so much. I'm really sad. Um, I was just going to talk about it's a little bit crazy as well, but by potentially the best well-known of the night, except for St. Nicholas, now that I know that St. Nicholas is an option. But she is certainly more well-known than Christina. And I'm going to just pitch for Teresa of Avila. Um, so she's, again, 
a fairly fairly well-known saint um her background she her maternal grandfather was actually a convert from judaism um he was trying to escape the inquisition um so converted to catholicism because that's what catholics do best getting people to come over to their side um but she was she was quite unassuming as a child she was very um she was very pious as a child and so on um her and her brother particularly were very very into their religion they were really well known for their piety um she was very committed to her religion and read widely in the lives of saints and devotional works um of of the saints and biographies and so on sometimes but so much so that around the age of seven and let's all for some of us it might be easier than others if we remember the time when we were seven years old her and her brother Rodrigo um were like crazy into their religion they were fanatic about it they were so inspired by tales of Christian martyrs and so on that they set off to seek their own martyrdom in Morocco um so they packed bags did the classic running away so that they could be martyrs. But luckily their uncle found them before they got much outside the outskirts of the town that they lived in. So they didn't get that far. Um, As she grew into a teenager, like all teenagers, um, her interest in anything that she'd had before being a teenager waned and her religious zeal um, dropped a little bit. You know, she was becoming a young woman. Um, Her tastes had changed quite radically as she hit puberty, you know, at that age in medieval Italy yeah so she was you know reading tales of dashing knights and courtly love as you know when you're 13 years old is all very nice and so on um but she uh, had a, a period in time where she had lots of strife in her life her mother died um her father was quite an irate angry man um provoked a change and her return to her pious way so she went back to her religion and she decided to become a nun a Carmelite nun Um, She had never been in the best of health, so she suffered from ill health for a long time. But as this ill health came into her life, she also started to experience visions as well, visions of Jesus and so on. And these intensified as well um, as she, you know, as she punished herself more and more for any perceived sins she may have had um, and tried to offer herself more fully to God. She would see these visions and they would become more and more vivid. and. It's these visions that she becomes really well known for. Um, and, it, you know, her, her writing is all about her visions that she had. Um, and she was even involved. She did a lot of reforming work for the Carmelite order for nuns and friars. Um, but as I said, it's her visions. And I know I'm not going to win this. So I'm going to just read what is her, one of her best known accounts, which to me speaks of a young woman who is very sexually frustrated. And now seeing as she's a nun as well, like she ain't ever getting any. So (laughs) we'll we'll talk about this. So in her one of her visions, best known writing, Christ appears to her as a young man. And it bears this quotation. I saw in his hand a long spear of gold. And at the point there seemed to be a little fire. He appeared to me to be thrusting it at times into my heart and to pierce my very entrails. The pain was so great that it made me moan, and yet so surpassing was the sweetness of this excessive pain that I could not wish to be rid of it. If that's someone who doesn't want a bit of fun, I don't know who is moaning, spears entering bodies, 
thrusting. I mean, come on. Clive, really? Come on. Clive in the chat has just put bottom sex, obviously. (laughs) You're going to be in such trouble if your wife listens to this. (laughs) I'm going to be in trouble if my mum hears this. Um, (laughs) um, And I suppose one must suspect that probably this sexual awakening that she may have had may or may not have had as a teenager that was then curtailed as she became a nut and before she was really allowed to experience let's be honest the best part of life um she it's then transformed itself into religious fanaticism and manifested itself in the visions so while she's not necessarily crazy she's definitely a horny sex deprived woman in the prime of her life who is crazy in the fact that her horniness has driven her to visions. So there we go. <laughs> Dorman says Crusaders just wanted to shag. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think everyone has come up. Um, Charlie's, Charlie's just put a uh, title of your sex tape. I think everyone has inadvertently titled their own sex tape tonight. Holmes, what did you make of that one? I thought I thought that was pretty good given the amount of time that you had to prepare it. I mean. I don't know if it's an age thing, but the, the small passage you read out, whilst it could be, you know, sexual, but I was just getting indigestion from it. I don't know why that was, but I mean, I didn't get, I didn't get, you know, I didn't come to the same interpretation that Clive did. But, but then again, I didn't go to public school, so swings around about. <laughs> That's what all that money paid for. Also, I like the fact that you sort of, you implied that everyone read about dashing knights and courtly lovers when they were 13, which I didn't. I have a feeling Lockie didn't as well. 13-year-old um, girls do. <laughs> no, I mean, there was a, a couple of ripped-up magazines under a bush near the school playground uh, that, that time when I was around that age. But um, that's, Zach that's says, I did. Was that lucky? Was that magazine? Was that was that called Amateur Courtney court, Courtly Lovers? <laughs> yeah, might have rhymed with dazzle. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> courtly love readers, why? I'm still uh, reading about courtly love. Wow. Anything else? Uh, is she a, is she a patron saint of anything? She is, but I haven't got that far. Hang on, let me just. Get up the list. You could have just made something up, like just shouted tea towels, what's it, or something like that. We'd have all believed you. <laughs> if there is one thing that I like, I like consistency and I like to be correct and I will not be wrong. So she is the patron saint of um, Spain, sick people, people in religious orders, people rec- ridiculed for their piety, lace makers, a place in Croatia that I'm not even going to try and pronounce, and a place in the Philippines as well. And anal. i love that i'm quite disturbed that you started talking about the sexy stuff and chris has turned his camera off well is anal the place in the philippines or croatia (laughs) very hard to get into got really strict visa requirements (laughs) (laughs) some shenanigans you can do to get in Um, (laughs) there's some jokes about pcr tests on the way out as well holmes (laughs) That leaves us with one more, doesn't it? No pressure on the yeah. Irishman in the room for pulling right. out the uh, the maddest saint there is. Yeah, I mean, I presume the expectation would have been, oh, do St. Patrick, but St. Patrick's shite. Like, I tell you what, before you start, do you want to rant? 
Yeah, I'll have a bit what? of a round. Oh, look, he's going to have some water before he starts. I, I, haven't, I haven't ranted in a while. No, St. Patrick is genuinely shit because so much of it we know is bollocks. At least with the others, there's like that air of mystique. Whereas with St. Patrick, we've got like three documents that actually talk about the things he did. Hang on, that's not stopped anyone else this night. So you weren't here <laughs> for the first half, were you? Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt he went around blowing up druids with his mind, for example. Um, but everything that was written about him was that is popular myth was written by a monk or rather a bishop in a place called Armagh, where they claimed he was buried. The reason being they wanted to attract tourists to there. The two things Patrick actually wrote are his confessio, which is him saying how shit his life was before he became a priest, and isn't that exciting, and a letter to a pirate asking for, can the pirate please give me my priests back? <laughs> <laughs> which is very rock and roll. Um, so yeah, Patrick is a bit shit. So I, I haven't gone with an Irish saint, even though I think Brendan the Navigator, who I have talked about before, is kind Hang of on, but while we're on, while we're on Patrick, but yes. all we know about is him getting rid of snakes. Did he not even do that? No, of course not. The Ice Age did that. Oh. Yeah, he wasn't even the first Catholic bishop in Ireland. There was a guy before him called Paulus? Patro? I can't remember the guy's name, but he because no one cares about him. But he was the first bishop, and he didn't do a great job, so Patrick was sent over because he knew the people. Also, he was fucking Welsh. So, anyway, I'm not sure why he's the patron saint of Ireland. Um, but he isn't. There he is. But anyway, that's not who I'm talking about. So um, I'm talking about St. Joseph of Cupertino because he's quite close to my heart. Because when I was younger, um, I would visit my granny who lived in a town called Kilkenny in the countryside in Ireland. Or a city called Kilkenny, which is in the countryside, not in Dublin. And whenever I had exams, she would ask my mother whether she should be praying to Joseph of Cupertino or St. Jude. Now, Joseph of Cupertino is the patron saint of exams in which you've only really studied for one thing. So basically the patron saint of question spotting. St. Jude is the patron saint of lost causes. So a bit harsh, but typically we lean towards Cupertino. Uh, he's the patron saint of other things as well, like aviation, astronauts, mental handicaps, students, and exams, broadly speaking. So he's a 17th century Italian, uh, born, surprisingly enough, in Cupertino. And he experienced a number of visions as a child. His mother considered him to be a complete nuisance and treated him very harshly. Um, he was purported to be slow, absent-minded. He wandered aimlessly around, <laughs> mouth gaping open. Um, and he coupled this with a vicious temper. So really all the makings of a fantastic saint here. Um, he tried to become a cobbler, failed. He then tried to become a Franciscan monk and wouldn't be allowed in because of his intellect or lack thereof. Uh, he did successfully join the Capuchins. Uh, that was only for eight months because he was sent away because he did not do anything correctly. Really, he's a fantastic character so far. He keeps dropping dishes and forgetting to do what he's told. And eventually his mum kicks him out at the age of 18 and he manages to get into the Franciscan monetary, monastery nearby as a servant. Um, he was told to take care of the horses, and there he began to grow as a person, um, and the fruits of the Holy Spirit flowed through him, as this uh, claims, and <laughs> through voluntary acts of penance, which Beth turned into an innuendo, so by viciously masturbating in the horse shed, um, he eventually was allowed study to become a priest. Um, he was a very good and holy friar, but he couldn't to study. He was not particularly studious at all. But 
in his seminary exams, the examiner asked him the one thing he could remember. And he passed with flying colors and thus became a deacon and later a priest. So that's why he is the patron saint of students and exams getting extremely lucky and winging it. Um, the flying elements um, is because he used to levitate at random while giving mass. Uh, I'm not, I don't know exactly whether they tethered him to the ground or whether they had like a net to stop him flying away or how controlled it was. Uh, but he claimed he or people saw him uh, soar into the air when preaching. Maybe he was just a really good speaker. Uh, so they decided to hide him away from the public because obviously who would want that kind of tourism? Uh, well, the Irish. But apart from that, no one else did. Uh, he spent the rest of his life somewhat in hiding. Occasionally he came out performed a miracle to let everyone know he was still there. Uh, so he's the patron saint of air travelers, pilots and students. Uh, and he was canonized in 1767. Boom, boom. I love it. Um, I, I just thought, you know, the bit about the levitating and tethering him to the ground. I just seeing that episode of dad's army with the barrage balloon. <laughs> where literally everybody's getting dragged all around Warmington on sea. Charlie wants to know, Dorman, as uh, the go-to Catholic in the room, is masturbation in the horse shed a prerequisite to joining the priesthood? I really hope not, because we're running out of horse sheds. <laughs> it really puts a different spin on Father Ted and my lovely horse for me that I was not expecting. Sorry. Sorry. But also, I mean, I was thinking when you said that, and then the one question that he knew the answer to, that question wasn't, how much hay does it take to mop up in a horse shed? <laughs> I think we may have missed that, but Chris says he qualifies. <laughs> Holmes. Um, yeah, he's quite an interesting one. We had another patron saint of students earlier on, which how many patron saints did... When I was a student, I didn't think about a saint for all the three years that I was at university, which... I think students need all the help they can get. It's true. I've read their yeah. essays. And then and when you said it, when you said it, well, you started off by saying at one point he just wandered aimlessly around with his mouth open. And I thought you were talking about Jordan Henderson for a minute there. Yeah. <laughs> we wandered way the, off track. That's just the Irish football team, generally speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harry Kane and his mouth breathing. Hmm. But then, we, like, like uh, another one we had tonight, there was a bit of levitation. But I guess that probably didn't happen. And then, then he said he went into hiding, came down, performed a few miracles from time to time, and that was it. Do you know what those extra miracles were? Mainly levitating. Uh, I think the miracle is the fact he became a priest. But that's a <laughs> tangible miracle, and therefore superior to blasting druids with brain power and stuff like that, and whatever else everyone else said when I was on a bus. <laughs> there are yeah, about I eleven patron saints of students. Mm. So, Dorman, have you ever invoked your, inv told your students they should be invoking Joseph of Cupertino or St. Jude, probably? St. Jude, more, more their cup of tea, yeah. yeah. The, the you, you, you mentioning that gave me horrible flashbacks of being back at school in an example and my deputy head at the time going, you must pray to St. Joseph of Cupertino and saying things like, God only helps those who helps themselves. <laughs> yeah, between that and the constant prayers to St. Anthony in my childhood. Oh, St. Anthony. Yeah, I mean, I may be reading too much into this, but it sounds like Dorman has had enough of the new undergraduates already. <laughs> Week five. <laughs> no time. <laughs> Anything else, Holmes? No, nothing for me. James has just dropped in. I don't think James has got a saint for us. Have you, James? 
No, I've had enough religion today. I had to teach a class PSHE, which had enough religion in it to just, yeah, no, that's enough for today. <laughs> to cure you of religion. Right. Okay, then. Let's go around the room and see which saint you would have gone for. Oh, my God. God help me. I'll start with Beth. If you couldn't have your own before we find out which one of you is convinced, Holmes. Beth? Oh, gee, I just don't know which one I would have picked <laughs> at all. Um, I mean... Could it have been Christina the Astonishing? It, it might have been Christina the Astonishing. Well, Kit's back, so we have one more, one last rant at him. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let my rant fester and <laughs> until he gets back in the country. Beth, yeah. he did call you a brummy. No. I mean, no, that's he, unforgivable. He stole her saint on her birthday, so oh, oh. <laughs> James is like, what have I walked into? <laughs> James, uh, James, as we know, last Christmas has been on the receiving end of a small part of my anger. It's <laughs> much bigger, much bigger. <laughs> I think Dorman needs to pee. So, Dorman, who would you have? Um, I heard the first 30 seconds of Zach's and his saint was Irish. So, Zach's. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Zach, pissed. <laughs> what were we even talking about? No, I have followed this. Um, just on the basis of pure kindness, and um, because everyone's probably going to go for kits slash bets, because um, that's a joint victory, obviously. Otherwise, she'll beat me at the Great War Group Conference. I'm going to go with Dorman just because he was nice to me. <laughs> oh, just letting it to Eurovision. Chris, I think yourself. I'm probably going to go for Zach and his magic stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a surprise. He's still sitting there, pissing himself, laughing at the end. He just keeps typing magic stuff into the chat function. It just like literally the, ch- <laughs> the chat function is just magic stuff, masturbation, magic stuff, masturbation on a loop. Uh, Locky. Oh, I, I, I was going to. I can't really remember that many names of, of saints so far. There's been quite a few funny ones. Um, but one that I did remember is uh, St. Dennis, um, of course. And I did like the idea of a chatty guy that gets his head chopped off, still won't shut up. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to go with Charlie. Brilliant. Charlie. Oh, I just got to be Zach and Jamie and his magic torch. I mean, <laughs> that guy... He made himself a saint out of touching people up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> legend, absolute legend. Does that, mean in, does that mean there'll be a St. Rolf in about 400 <laughs> years' time? Oh, too oh. soon, Holmes, too oh. soon. I mean, so far as we know, the saint was touching up consenting adults who went there to be touched. So it's all good. So we're cutting some slack. Clive. I was thinking of going for Kit, but I think that actually Beth came in and stormed it with her patron saint of bottom sex. <laughs> Outstanding. Beth's now praying her mum doesn't listen to this. Beth. I mean, to, oh, be, no, fair, it is, to be fair, it is a birthday. It is a birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Surely that should be her husband's birthday, right? Oh, I've missed this group. I really <laughs> Surely that's for John's birthday. Kit, did we ask you? No, no. I, I So I had a power... <laughs> there it goes. Like, There's been another power cut. I think someone's been invoking the patron saint of power cuts. Yeah, that's Beth. Yeah, me. Beth has been praying <laughs> to the patron saint of power cuts. Oh. Uh, we'll find it. If he comes back, we'll find out. Holmes, go on. Well... I'm going to slightly fudge it in that 
I've, I've got Beth down as the overall winner because obviously Christina, the astonishing, is the best one. But Beth sort of did that and prepared another one. So I've got Beth down as the winner on that basis. And it's her birthday. Yes. But in terms of the Saints, I got Christina, the astonishing, in first place. Uh, Charlie with Dennis in second place. And then Lockie with St. Nicholas in third place. Clive, you were fourth, just out of interest. Before you, stop, before you stop banging on about coming last and there's some sort of paranoid vendetta in your head all the time. fourth worse though, Clive? I mean, I don't I know. know. Coming last is usually the best thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> Zach wants Holmes, to know. The, the Anthony Taylor of judges. <laughs> Zach wants to know, to be fair, it's her birthday. Whose sex tape is that? <laughs> <laughs> right, Okay. Brilliant. I, I've no idea what we're talking about next time, but we're logging off now to go and get drunk for best birthday. So we'll catch you uh, at some point. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.